Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The Advent, which was taught to help us celebrate Advent in 2020. Advent is a time to reflect upon the coming of Christ and how He is the source of true hope, peace, love, and joy. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. Today we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40, and, and by a way of reminder, I just want to you know, kind of set this for us, that Isaiah is writing, he's prophesying to the people who were going to be in exile, people who were really struggling, who had been through a really tough time. And so I'm going to take time to read the entire chapter. And as I asked you to do what we did uh, with Hebrews 11 a couple of weeks ago when I read the entire chapter today, it's going to be up on the screen and you can follow along on your device if you want, but mainly I want us to hear this as if you were in exile, as if you were in a place where you were lacking hope, and this is God's very first words. Isaiah had prophesied the exile was coming. These are the first words that God speaks to his exiled people. So hear the word of your God. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged place is a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it 
that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Oh, church, hear the word of God. Um, as you know, unless you've been asleep, 2020 has been an unusual year. It has been a time of turmoil, a time of sorrow, a time of loss. And many people are struggling with that again because as we seem to be entering a time possibly of more restrictions, and at least for us as a church, we're not able to meet outside any longer because it's gotten cold, uh, it makes it more difficult. And some people are really feeling that right now. And in no way do I want to diminish any of that. But I do want to remind us that sometimes what's a good practice when we're in a time of turmoil and sorrow and loss, like 2020, is to remind ourselves we are not the first people to face such things. 
And in fact, some people have faced far worse times than we have. And this is certainly true of the people of Israel who were in exile, the people to whom Isaiah addresses chapters 40 through 66. If you read Isaiah's book, in the previous few chapters from like 36 to 39, there's kind of a historical hinge where if you remember, they've been delivered from Assyria. It seemed like Judah's days were numbered and then God graciously delivers them, but they turn to Babylon. And so Isaiah tells them, you're going to be carried away into exile in Babylon. And then in chapter 40, he begins to speak words to the exile community. People who are in exile for their sin. Their sin has brought their time of turmoil and sorrow and loss. And yet, God begins with a word of comfort. He begins with a word of hope. And so, I want us, as we begin this journey, as we've heard recently, we are exiles. How do we find hope? How do we find comfort? That's what we're going to be looking at today in God's Word and actually as we move through finding peace and love and joy. Uh, and how does all this relate to the coming of Christ? Now, Isaiah here gives us the basis for hope in troubled times. Okay, it's one thing to say I have hope when times are going well, but how do I find hope when everything seems to be falling apart? That's what's going on with the exiles. Remember, they had lost everything, their houses, their freedom, and in fact, many people had died. They watched the city they loved burn, the temple where they had worshiped God had been ransacked, and Isaiah is going to give them a basis for hope in troubled times. The first thing he tells us is the gospel is the basis for hope. It is a firm basis for hope. Notice how he begins. Again, to a people who are in exile because of their sin. He begins by saying, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, Isaiah doesn't say comfort twice because he's stuttering. When God repeats himself, he's doing it for emphasis. He's wanting to say, I, I understand, I see, I am offering comfort to you. I want to emphasize this point, first words out of the gate to my people who are struggling is comfort. And interestingly, he refers to me, he says, comfort my people, says your God. Remember, this is the covenant motto. You are my people, and I am your God. I will be your God, and you will be my people. He's reminding the people that whatever else is going on around you, you are still my people. You are still in covenant with me. I have not forgotten. I have not gone blind. I see and I know what is happening. And so the prophet says, or, or God commands the prophet to speak tenderly to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem here is what's referred to as a, a synecdoche. It, it represents the whole of the people. Uh, it's standing in for them. It's not just the city of Jerusalem. It's actually for the people of God. And God says, I know she's suffering. I know it's been hard. I'm here to speak tender words to you. And notice what the tender words are. Proclaim that her hard service is completed. Her sin has been paid for. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is a statement of pardon. This is a statement of forgiveness. That everything has been paid for. In fact, it's been doubly paid for. 
uh, I want you to know my people. I see and I have responded by removing your sin. And make no mistake, Israel's sin is not removed because of their work. Israel's sin is not removed because of their faithfulness because we're going to see even while they're in exile, they remain unfaithful. And even when they return to the promised land, you remember if you read Nehemiah, you find out that they're still unfaithful again. The only basis for forgiveness is always the gospel. Isaiah in these chapters is going to present this figure of the servant of the Lord who is going to come and he is going to bear the sins of Israel. And it is through his work that they can be forgiven. And so the first basis for hope for you and for me is the promise of comfort and tenderness and forgiveness that is found in the gospel. So Please hear me as we're sitting here in 2020 and we're beginning this journey. Despite our sins, God has not forsaken us. But in fact, he has chosen to forgive us and to restore us to himself. And if we have that, we have hope. It doesn't matter what else happens in 2020. It doesn't matter what 2021 looks like. If we have the gospel, we should be a people of hope because God speaks comfort, God speaks tenderly, and God speaks a word of forgiveness. Friends, whatever your sins are, if you are in Christ, they have not only been paid for, they've been doubly paid for. Everything is forgiven because of Christ. First, firm basis for hope. The second basis that God speaks to his people in troubled, trying, sorrowful times is that the unfailing word of God is a firm basis for hope. Did you notice this is the passage Mark kind of alludes to, you know, and says there's going to be a voice crying out, and we're told what the voice cries out. And it's this All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, and the flowers fall. What he's saying there is people are frail and failing. And you know, one of the things that happens is when times get tough, sometimes the people we thought were a sure anchor fail. They blow it. And if they haven't yet, they will. Anybody we could rely on will fail because that's the way people are. And in fact, notice it says they're, they're like grass, they're like flowers. It says the breath of the Lord blows on them. Just a, a breeze blows on them and they die from the breeze. It's actually the picture here because it's coming out of the wilderness is this hot breath blows on them and it's like when a hot wind comes in and everything just withers and dies. And God says that's what the strongest people are like. But notice at the end of verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. People are frail, God's word is firm. People fail, God's word never fails. People fall away and cease, but God's word stands firm forever. And so if you and I, in times like this, are tempted to look to people, we're going to find nothing but utter despair and disappointment. 
because people will fail. And uh, that is the challenge that we do. They, they disappoint time and again. And here's a secret. Even if there was someone who through the worst of times remained faithful and you never found a reason to be disappointed, they're going to die. Because that's what happens to we mortals. We fall. We die. Even the strongest and the best of us die. And so where can we put our hope? Well, our hope has to be in the enduring word of God. God's word never fails, and God's word does not die. It does not end. It has endured across the millennia. And the fact is, not only have we faced some difficult times, this has been common to the people of God down through the ages. They have faced these kind of times time and time again. But hard times have come and gone Forces have attempted to undermine God's word and to prove it not to be true. They've arisen and fallen, but God's word still stands. Hard times don't last. God's word does last. Those who've attempted to prove God's word false have come and gone, but God's word is still here and still true. And so we can have comfort in the midst, and we can have hope in the midst of these times because Whatever else is going on around us, whatever else is shaking, God's word is firm. That's why I encourage you, please, every morning this week, whatever your normal pattern is, get up, first thing, let God's word soak in you with the devotions. Tomorrow, let Tony Marsh greet you and encourage you in the word of God to receive hope uh, from God's word. Because friends, if you ever needed it, you need it now. We need to cling to the Word of God. The third basis for hope is God's personal presence and care. God's personal presence and care. Notice in verses 9 and 11, uh, it says, You bring good tidings to Zion. Go up on a high mountain. You bring, who bring good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, Here is your God. He's being pictured as if there's been a battle, and the guy comes back and he announces what's happened afterwards, and he's saying, lift it up, shout, let Zion know, let Jerusalem know, uh, as you're shouting from uh, the mountaintops, that God is here. Now remember, Jerusalem, the city has been burned. The Jerusalem he's speaking to are the people of God who are in exile. But God is saying, you may feel forsaken, you may think you've been removed from my presence. I may seem to be far from you, but I want you to hear the word of the prophet. I am here. To put it in another term that Isaiah uses, when you feel God is far away, you need to know Emmanuel. God is with us. He is not far. He is not distant. He is he comes near to us. And notice how Isaiah develops this in verse 11. He's not here to judge. He is here not as a harsh despot, but rather as our shepherd. We're told he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Do you notice the, there's kind of a, and as I was 
reading it, I was trying to do this. There's a juxtaposition of the things that are shouted. And then we get this tender, almost quiet picture that when the Lord turns towards us, he is shouted to declare victory for us, but then he picks us up and he holds us like a shepherd would hold a lamb. Our shepherd does not abandon us. Even when we are in exile, he is with us. Even when we are in a deep, dark valley, there will never be the time that we will look and find that our shepherd has fled. Other shepherds will fail. This shepherd does not. And notice, he holds us, Isaiah says, uh, carries him close to his heart. God says, I mean, the, the picture almost is like a sheep that's surrounded by wolves, and everything is scary, and the shepherd holds the sheep there so that the sheep can hear the shepherd's heartbeat, and it's a way of saying, you can be calm. Whatever wolves are coming, whatever dangers are there, I will protect you. I am your God. You are my people. I am your shepherd, and you are my flock. And so... This is important to us, and please hear me on this. Whatever has happened to you in 2020, and whatever you're facing in 2021, you are never unseen. You are never unloved. God always sees, and God always loves. He is with us come what may he walks with you he carries you when you are afraid and if we will listen you'll hear his heartbeat for you friends that is hope no matter what else we are facing that is hope the fourth thing that isaiah tells us is god's greatness is a firm basis for hope. And there's several ways he tells us how great God is. First, he says God is awesome and great in his just sheer immensity. Notice in verse 12, which is the very next verse, he says, who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? See, he's gone from this tender picture that he's like a shepherd holding his feet. He says, but I want you to understand how big the shepherd is. Who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or the breadth of his hand has marked off the heavens? Who's held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? He's saying here, God is infinite. Look how big the heavens are. God says that's just like a little, little hand scoop to me. There's nothing. The immensity of it. The earth and the heavens are unfathomably vast and powerful and overwhelming. And friends, we know this far more than Isaiah did. We know just how vast they are. Billions of light years across. And God says, it's nothing to me. I scoop that. It's like just you scoop up some dust and put it on a scale. That's what it's like to me. This is the immensity of our God. But the amazing thing is, this is the God who's with us. It's the two together. Because God is infinite, he is everywhere. So even if you and I are locked away and cannot be with people, God is always with you. And this is the testimony of believers who have suffered under persecution 
and been thrown in jail cells and been cut off from human contact is that even if they couldn't see others, God was with them because he cannot be restricted. He is infinite in his being. We can have hope because you're never alone, and nor am I. Second way that God is awesome is he's awesome in his knowledge. Notice in verses 13 and 14. Who's understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? See, God knows everything. God says, nobody's taught me. I don't need anybody to describe or explain what's going on to me. And in fact, God never grows in his knowledge because he knows all things immediately. And by immediately, I mean directly. You and I learn, we observe, we pay attention. 2020 has been a strange year full of surprises. I told people actually um, on, I guess it's um, Tuesday, it'll be 27 years since I became pastor of this congregation. And I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Because I've never been through anything like this. Nor has anybody else. I've had lots of young pastors come in and asking advice, and I'm like, dude, you've been through this just as much as I have. Because this is all brand new. We're learning as we go. And everybody is trying. From, from the lowest to the highest, we're figuring things out. And we try something, and we say, well, that didn't work. There's one person not doing that. God. He's not learning by experience. He knows the end from the beginning. There's one person. If you tell me a year ago I knew this was going to happen, liar. You did not. Nor did I. God knew what was going on, and he's not adding to his knowledge. He's not saying, I kind of got 2020 figured out. He's known it from the beginning. And he already knows what 2021 holds as well. And so we can have hope because hear this. God knows everything that has happened to you, everything that is happening to you, and everything that is ever going to happen to you, God already knows. He's not figuring it out. He knows the end from the beginning. So you and I might get taken by surprise. People you trust in might be taken by surprise. God will never be taken by surprise. He knows it all. Thirdly, God is awesome in his power. I'm going to actually just jump down because you can look. God contrasts that with idols. And I might, you know, there's so many contrasts. The idols, Isaiah taunts throughout this section saying, get one of your idols to predict the future. I'm telling you Israel is going into exile. I'm telling you Israel is going to come back out of exile. I'm telling you it's going to be a guy named Cyrus is going to do it. Get one of your idols to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. Another difference is you make the idols. I made you. You make up. Why, why would you worship something you make? And he kind of does that in that middle section. And all of that is then summed up in God saying, I'm awesome in power. Idols are literally nothings. But I am infinite in power. Notice in verses 25 and 26. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? See, you made the idols, but I made everything. When you look at the heavens, I made it all. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. 
hear God's forceful question. If you are struggling with despair, or probably when we are struggling with despair, here's what God says. Who is like me? God's call in that moment is, hey, look at me. Look at me. Put your eyes on me. Stop looking at what's going on around. Look at me. I can remember doing that with some of our kids when they were really young and they would get scared. It was kind of, look at me, look at daddy. Okay, I'm here. It's okay. All right? That's what God does to us. He says, who, who, who's my equal? And look at the heavens again. Remember, I made this. My strength is beyond compare. My arm is not too short to save. My arm is here and it is strong. And God is speaking this to the exiles. And he is saying, you may feel like the other gods have won. You may feel like you are too far away, that you're somehow outside my scope of being able to save. You are not. I am mighty beyond compare, and I will save. So all of these are reasons we are given to hope. So how do we apply this? Let me give two questions that we can think through, and then we'll conclude. Number one, am I drawing strength from my hope in God? Am I trying to draw my strength from my hope in God? Notice in verses 27 to 31, as Isaiah concludes this chapter, it begins with this question. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God. See, God knows in times of turmoil, in times of sorrow, in times of loss, I am tempted to think that God doesn't see, that God doesn't know, or worst of all, that God doesn't care. And what that leads to in that moment is if I believe that, if I let that sink in, then I start looking to other places for my source of strength. But see, the problem is they're all like grass and flowers. They all fall. They all fade. None of them can survive what's happening and what is to come. And so God is here saying, Jacob, why are you doing this? Because if you're thinking that way, you're being tempted to turn to something else, and it will always fail. And then he turns and he says, uh, again, this question, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. And he gives strength to the weary and power to the weak. And even yous grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. So notice what he's saying. It doesn't matter. You can go get the strongest, the youngest, the best. All of that's going to fail. Here's what you need to remember. I alone will not fail. If you're looking for strength, if you are looking for hope, you will not find it somewhere else. It is found in me. And so, see, these times come. God had exile for Israel, not because he was in a cranky mood. He wanted to use it to cause Israel to turn back to him. And so, friends, what we can do right now, we're tempted in times like this to mourn losses. And that's real. And there's a place for that. But in the lament, 
we need to remember that this is the opportunity to turn us back to God. This Christmas season is going to be different than others. Are we going to just get upset about that, or are we going to use that as an opportunity to fix our gaze on God? Are we going to use it to look back to Him? Because here's the reality, He never grows tired or weary. Never. See, one of the challenges right now is I've been thinking through this time and praying over the last couple of months. It was one thing to face some of the things that we were going through back in March. You all remember when that was? It was almost like, oh, we're going to do this, you know, it'll be like a two-week little thing. Right? See, now it's like this has just been going on for a long time. This needs to stop. Like months ago, this needed to stop. And it's easy at that point to become weary. Early on, there was, you know, I'm going to get this done, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to try and make the most of it. And then after a while, it's like, this just needs to stop. See, God says, that's what happened. Even you get tired and weary. The one who does not is God. And so to survive times of turmoil, sorrow, and loss, we need to stir up our hope in God. For he's an inexhaustible source of strength no matter what our circumstances are. So, are we stirring up our hope in God? Again, every morning, listen. Let God's word soak in. Let your hope be stirred up. Because if it is, it's verse 31. Then that's when you can run and not be weary. That's when you can soar on eagle's wings is when we are drawing it out of God every day. Second question, do I see that Christ has come to give me hope? You may well, is this really an Advent Christmas passage? Yes, it is. Because this is ultimately about Christ. And how do we know that it's about Christ? Well, because it began with the gospel. The whole thing is anchored in the gospel. There's comfort, there's tenderness, there's forgiveness of sins. And none of that exists apart from Jesus Christ. None of that exists apart from why Christ came. And so, because it's about the gospel, it's about Jesus. But notice the New Testament actually picks up this chapter several times. I'll just do a couple of them here. First off, you remember Mark's gospel, where we began our meeting today. In Mark chapter 1, it's written in, the, you know, this is the beginning of the gospel. It's written in Isaiah the prophet. That there's this voice of the one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist came, baptizing, and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, here's the amazing thing. Israel had come out of Babylon. They were back in the promised land, and they were still in exile. That's the truth. And so God sends the prophet and says, I want you to know what I promised in Isaiah 40 is still on track it is still coming true. And Mark says, and when John the Baptist showed up, we all should have known, oh, it's here. The king has come. The one who promised to deliver us has come. And so that's what's going on. John's the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy as he prepares the way for God's coming to his people in Jesus Christ. And Peter picks up the same passage when he talks about us today. And he says this in 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, 
And their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Peter says what Isaiah is talking about is what came to you in the gospel. That's the word that was preached to you. And in that word, you were born again. You have received what Isaiah was talking about. Because God's word is eternal and unchanging. It stands forever. And yet, it is ever current. God's word that he spoke to the exiles through Isaiah, uh, now, what, 2,700 years ago, that word is just as current now as it was when Isaiah spoke it, as it was when the exiles read it, as it was when Mark and Peter quoted it. It is current, it is relevant, it is that word that God speaks to you, his exile people, and he says, you can have hope. Because the gospel is true. Because my word is sure. Because my character is unchanging. And I have come to you in Jesus Christ to save. And so friends, the promises of Isaiah 40 are yours in Christ Jesus. You are God's exile people. And in our times of turmoil, sorrow, and loss, he comes to us in Christ to give us hope and strength. And see, when... The people in exile heard that. They had to hold on looking forward to it. We know God has accomplished his word because Christ has already come and done all of this. So this week, what I want to encourage you to do is let's all renew our hope in God. We have to meditate on God's character, work, and promises given to us in Christ. I want to challenge you to do that every day. Let that be what your mind is fastened on. Make it a priority every day to listen and engage. Don't just click on, I got through the devotional, now I go on to what's important in my day. No, let it, let it rivet your attention and engage with it to let God speak to you. We need to hear the word of God and engage with it. And I want to challenge you. This is Advent, not Lent. But I want to challenge you, over the next month, spend less time on the news, on social media, on surfing the internet. They are a sinkhole of turmoil, despair, and anger. You don't need what they're peddling. Okay? And the more you do that, it, you, you need to picture it. It's a leech sucking hope out of your soul. If you feel like you got just so much hope, then go ahead and do it. You're a liar, but go ahead and do it. If you don't, take a fast. Cut back on it. And when you're having the temptation to engage in that stuff, pick up and read the Word of God. And let God speak to you. Instead of hearing the heartbeat of all the insanity that you can find on the internet, listen to the heartbeat of God. Let him speak to you and encourage you. If you'll do that and if I'll do that, we'll come out of this season and say, I got hope. I got peace. I got love. I got joy. Because I'm hearing the word of God. But to do that, friends, we need to turn down all the other static. So I want to challenge you 
Use this as a time to fast from some of that stuff. Turn it off. I'll get off my soapbox. Take the time and invest in God's Word. Let's soak in it together. Let the Lord speak to us and encourage and hear that voice because he's shouting. And he's shouting hope to you and to me. Let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. Father, we stand before you as exile people. And Lord, if we had not known that before, we have felt it this year. Lord, we can relate to the people to whom Isaiah prophesied. Lord, we feel turmoil. We can feel sorrow. We can feel loss. Holy Spirit of the living God, we cry out to you to be a voice crying out to us, to speak words of comfort to us, to speak words of hope from the gospel of Jesus Christ to us. Come, O Lord. We are here. Let us hear your voice. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Renew our strength and our hope. Lord, we pray that you would do this in such an overflowing manner that even when we come into contact with people who are like black holes, sucking all hope out of the air around them, that, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, hope would be able to press from us into their situation. Light would be able to press from us into that darkness and shatter it. Oh, Lord, come, let your uh, light, your glory, rise and shine upon your people in this Advent season. I ask that you would do this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who is our hope. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, you are blessed. Go forth and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.